Hello, Westside Family Church. It is so great to see you. It is so awesome to see you, whether you're here at Lenexa Speedway or watching online. It's a delight to be with you. I'm going to ask you if you're sitting with a member of your family, I'm going to invite you to hold hands with them uh, during this series called Fit to Fight for Your Family as uh, we are making an ancient declaration found in scriptures uh, to fight for our families. Uh, If you are single, particularly today, because we're going to be chatting about you a little bit, uh, to uh, grab hands with maybe a friend next to you or scoot next to a family member if you feel comfortable, grab hands with them. Some of you family members, I hear you saying, but pastor, we had a fight to get on our way to church today. And don't really feel like holding hands. Uh, I didn't say you're making a declaration that you're a perfect family. You're making a declaration of solidarity that the enemy who is trying to destroy you needs to back down because in Jesus' name, you're going to get through this together. Amen? So we're going to put this ancient declaration on the screen. It's first given 2,300 years ago by a leader named Joshua over Israel. He invited the children of Israel, the men, the women, the children, to also shout out this declaration uh, in solidarity in their relationship with God. So I'm going to put it on the screen, and I want you to give it all you got. Ready? Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We are in this series called Fit to Fight for Our Family. We are in week four, and we committed to two primary goals in this nine-week series. Goal number one, get fit to fight by having a game plan to move in the preventative side versus the crisis side of your personal health as well as your marriage health to get a checkup, if you will. And so we invited those of you who are married or premarital to uh, do a, uh, an assessment called Better Love to find out where you're at and how you can improve And if you're single, an assessment called yada, uh, which simply is the Hebrew word for to know, to know yourself and to know others and how you can relate to them. And uh, it's an exciting opportunity. And I'm pleased to tell you, so far we've had 747 people take the assessment, which is amazing. People who are taking action to get healthy, not waiting for a crisis to emerge. And I'm super excited about that. But I want more. And so if you haven't signed in or maybe you're just hearing about it for the first time, maybe you're a little nervous, it's okay. It's just like going to the, remember going to the doctor and getting that physical and getting the blood work and like, I don't want to know, right? You need to know because we can do something about it if you get on the front end of this thing. So go to westsidefamily.church slash fit to fight and all the information will be there on taking the assessment and what the next steps are from there. That's goal number one, to get fit to fight by having a game plan. Strategy number two, goal number two, get fit to fight by knowing and committing to God's word. Knowing and committing. So it's not just about getting smarter. That's a place to start. We want to make sure that all believers who are part of the Westside Family Church know God's word and what God says about having a healthy life and a healthy marriage relationship. But we also want you to take another step and actually commit to have the courage to commit to actually living it out because you know this God and he's trustworthy. And whenever you're confused and when you're struggling, you don't know where to go, just keep your eyes focused on the word of God and it will always lead you to a great place. Amen? Okay, so today we're going to address those who are single. And some of you say, oh man, should have slept in today because I'm not single. 
The reality is this message is for everybody because the truth is you either were single, you are single, or one day you're going to be single again, right? Some of you are saying, when's that? (laughs) Either because your mate is going to pass away or you might experience something like divorce. The reality is some of you who are married, young married couples, you are right now in the process of raising little singles. Right? Or if you're like me, we have four adult children and two of them are still single. So I'm interested in what the Word of God has to say for me. Now I'm a grandfather and I've got two little single grandchildren. I was just with them all this week in San Antonio, just got back last night. And my granddaughter last night went on her first date. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Right. You know, and that was a real innocent date with the family of the boy. And I'm interested to jumping ahead in scriptures and finding out what the Bible says that grandfathers can do to dishonorable little boys <laughs> without going to jail. Right? I'm interested in that. <laughs> now I want to say something to you who are currently single. However, you find yourself in that situation, number one, you are not family less. You're not family less. You have your family, a mom and a dad and brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews and grandparents. And that's a cool thing. You need to learn the word of God as you play that role in your family. But you're also a part of the family of God. Matter of fact, one of the key phrases, ways in which uh, the, the New Testament refers to the church is that we are a family. So important is that to us that we've put it in our name. Say it with me. Westside Family Church. That means that uh, we are all part of this spiritual family and our goal is to wrap God's family around your family. And if you're single, we want you to know that we love you and that we're for you and that we need you here. And after you hear this message, you'll understand a little bit more why that's the case. Now, what I want to do today is simply what I want to do in all of these messages on the family is I simply want to open up God's word and not sugarcoat it, just kind of teach it the way it is, whether or not it's culturally sensitive or not. Can I get an amen? Amen. I'm asking for permission. Can I get an amen? amen? Okay, I've got permission, so buyer beware. Here we go. The clearest passage of scripture on singleness comes from the Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 7. The truth is, most pastors um, pass over this passage of scripture. We do. We don't like to deal with it uh, because it is a bit odd in places. It's going to say some things that don't fit uh, the 21st century, uh, but I'm going to tackle it. Uh, because I believe it's the word of God and that we need to dig deep to find out what God is calling us to. And you'll see just in a moment some of the things that Paul says. And you're saying, okay, you know, what was he smoking? You know, but it's, but it's, it's truth. It's God's word. And um, uh, so here we have it. After finishing up um, talking about the marriage relationship, Paul starts into a, a new topic and that is a message to those who are single. I'm going to put up uh, this first verse uh, in verse 17. I'm going to ask you to read it out loud with me. Those of you online, Speedway, join in with me. Ready? Here it goes. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. 
just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. I love the phrase, whatever situation you find yourself in, live as a believer. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down this very first principle. It's found in the West Side app. A Christian single should live as a believer. Just straightforward. A Christian single should live as a believer. The pattern I have seen in my time uh, as a pastor over 33 years now is that the pattern is, the most common pattern is, is that if a person, young person is lucky enough to be raised by Christian parents, maybe raised in the church, the common pattern is once they leave the nest, uh, leave the home, they take a hiatus on God. They take a break on God. And the line of thinking is maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, um, I am going to sow my wild oats and I'm going to follow the people that are in front of me that there's a good chance that if I get married and have kids and find my life completely out of control, I'll come back to church again. But in the meantime, I'm going to take a break from God. The scriptures here encourages all of us, particularly young singles leaving the nest, to do not take a time out on God. It will be to your detriment. And I am offering a personal challenge to Westside young people today to go against the grain of our culture and don't take a time out on God. You will look back when you get to my stage in life and be so glad you did not. Those of you who are older, can I have a testimony? Is that true? Yeah. What you will do during this time without God providing a coverage for you, you will always regret for the rest of your life. Now, I use the phrase here, Christian single versus a single who is Christian, or a Christian, a Christian single versus a single Christian. And what I mean by that is to say a single Christian is to say a single who happens to be a Christian. But a Christian single is one whose identity is defined by their relationship with Jesus. There's a difference between a single who happens to say, I'm a Christian, to a Christian single who says, I am all in for Jesus. That's what God's word is calling us to. Now, God's word in verse 25 shouts this out. Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Let me make three observations about this verse. First of all, the word virgin is the word the New Testament mostly uses to refer to single people. And the very title itself lays down a hefty biblical expectation and assumptions about your lifestyle, doesn't it? Right? The second observation is Paul saying he's not building his teachings off of the Lord or something that he first heard from the teachings of Jesus, but he wants to remind us that he is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and that he is trustworthy, that what he is writing is, is trustworthy. The third thing I want you to see is that Paul, as he now is going to begin teaching us, is not so much saying that everything he is saying is a matter of right and wrong, but it's more a matter of better and best. 
better, and best. So keep those things in mind as we move to principle number two. Principle number one, a Christian single should live as a believer. Principle number two begins in verse 26. Paul pens these words. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. (laughs) That's good to know, right? If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. And all of those who are married said, Amen. Amen. I mean, the reality is, marriage is tough, right? It's tough. Now, what Paul is referring to here, he said at the very beginning, in, uh, because of this present crisis, this present crisis, he's referring to at the time when Paul is alive, that there is persecution going on throughout the Roman Empire towards Christians from the Roman government and also from Jewish people who are just not happy with this guy Jesus and the rise of popularity within the church. So this is an era where there is hostility toward Christianity and believers are being thrown into prison, they're being uh, placed on the run, they're being beaten, and they are being killed. And Paul is simply saying, in this present crisis that we're in, it is tough enough as it is if you go it alone, but it is even tougher when you see somebody that you love and are responsible for uh, also experience this kind of persecution. It's just tougher in this season. It would be easier if you did not have that trouble. Now, in verse 29, he's going to sort of continue to speak to this, kind of try to clean up what he's saying a little bit. But in some ways, for me, at least in the language of the 21st century, it seems to dig himself into a deeper hole. It's my personal opinion. Verse 29, he says, What I mean, whenever you say that, you know, like they, you didn't understand what I just said. What I mean brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Some of you men, this has been your life verse, right? Uh, you know, this is your life verse, right? My wife said to me in no uncertain terms, if you live as though you don't have a wife, you won't. <laughs> right? This is not what Paul is saying because uh, this is the same guy in the book of Ephesians will tell men to love your wives as Christ has loved the church, that you should be willing to give up your very lives for them. So this is his view on us men in our relationship to our wives. Uh, to understand what he's saying, you've got to keep reading, beginning in verse 30. He goes on to say, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world and if, as if not engrossed in them, for, here it is, this world in its present form is passing away. His big idea is that life is short. And whatever situation you find yourself in right now on earth, it is temporal and it will be over before you know it. Every situation, whatever you're currently experiencing right now, you're not going to be able to hold on to it forever. Just ask anybody with grown children. 
Like, how did the time fly so quickly? Or just ask the widow or the widower uh, sitting next to you about how time got away from them. Whatever you said on earth is not a permanent forever deal. Now, in verses 32 through 35, he's going to get a little deeper, so I'm going to need to ask you to lean in just a little bit and stay with me as we dive into what Paul says next. He said, I I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you might live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Wow, you've probably never heard this talk before. I want to say up front that I, Randy Frazee, love being married. I do. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But in the same breath, I will tell you that it is the hardest relationship on the earth. It is difficult. And it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of energy. It's worth it. But wow, it takes a lot. It is by far the most complicated relationship that God ever designed. Men, shout amen if you agree. Keeping one woman happy for a lifetime is way above the relational intelligence of most men. If you agree, say amen, Amen, right? Women, help us help you. Help us help you. Could you give us some insight in your complexities? And could you possibly put it on a single sheet of paper? (laughs) Because anything more than that just, boom, blows our minds, right? We love you. We just can't figure you out. The invention of the man cave, you've heard about that, right? And, but many of you don't know why it exists. The man cave exists so as to keep the man from getting into more trouble. He's in a situation where you are off into this complex zone, and he has no idea what to say, but he's been married long enough to know that if he says anything, he's in more trouble. So he hides in the basement or in the garage or wherever his man cave is until it is safe to re-emerge. That's what the man cave is all about. We were not given the emotional and intellectual capacity to, to minister to you. And so we struggle and to try to keep you happy for a lifetime is really hard. It's worth it, but it's really hard. Now, to be fair, women, shout amen if you agree with this statement. The amount of time that it takes to break a man into a good husband is tireless. Amen, Amen, right? And my encouragement to you is don't give up now. 
You're getting somewhere. You'd only have to start completely over. Roseanne says, when I die, she is not getting married again. There's no way she is going to break in another guy in light of how long it took to break me in. That is for sure. <laughs> I love the comedian reader Rudner asked why she married a man 20 years younger than her. Why she married a man 20 years younger than her. She says, we all know that men don't mature ever, so why not get a young one? <laughs> right, women? You married an old guy thinking, wow, he's more mature. Not. Why did Adam and Eve have the perfect marriage? He didn't have to hear about all the men she could have married. And she didn't have to hear about the way his mother cooked. <laughs> I love that, right? And we haven't even yet added in the complexities of children, you know? And if you have two, no big deal. You're still one-on-one -on -one defense, right? You have four like us, and we are into zone defense, and things are nuts. Things are crazy. Principle number two, straight from God's word, take a look at this. This is good news. A Christian single can be fully devoted to kingdom causes. A Christian single can be fully devoted to kingdom causes. A Christian single flat out has more margin than people who are married and who have children. And while you can use some of that margin on yourself, the scripture calls you to use that additional margin for purposes of God. And just think of this undivided opportunity you have, whether this is just a season in your life and one day you will get married or married again, or this is the call of God on your life. Just think of the amount of energy and time you can place in to coming alongside of something that God deeply cares about and help people who are hurting to encourage people to, to, to engage in the skills and the skill sets that God has given you to do tremendous things with the life that he has given you. Those of us who have been married, those are married and have lots of children, we may have great dreams, but the reality is we've been given a responsibility before us that limits the amount of time that we have. And let's shout out the name of the greatest single person of all times on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus Christ was single. He's a part of your tribe. He's a part of your group. And there's no way he could have accomplished what he did in three years in providing the way for all humanity of all times to come into an eternal relationship with God if he were married. Singleness provides a capacity to do some amazing things. So whether it's a short season or a calling of God on your life. I mean, lean into the possibilities. Over the years, I've heard singles say, I feel like a second-class citizen. Here in the teachings of Scripture, Paul bumps you up to first class and says it's the preferred way to live if this is what God has for you in this season of your life. Principle number one, a, a Christian single should live as a believer Principle number two, a Christian single can be fully devoted to kingdom causes. Now, there's one more thing I need to share with you. I was hoping I would run out of time, but I've got a few more moments. So the next one I'm going to offer up to you is a bit more challenging. And so I need permission to go there. Uh, can I be challenging? Yeah. yeah, okay, singles, I need to hear from you because it's going to come at you. Okay, if you're single, are you giving me permission to cut it straight to you? Okay, all right, all I needed was three. 
Keep in mind that my goal, along with Paul's goal, is to give you something to aspire to, not to load you up with guilt and shame. We do a good job of that all by ourselves. We're laying down a standard. So here we go, verse 36. If anyone who is worried that he may not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. What does that mean? I want to zero in on two phrases, in case you're not understanding what Paul is getting at here. The first one, if his passions are too strong, if his passions are too strong, and number two, but has control over his will. Both of those phrases are in reference to sexual desire, and Paul here is calling the Christian single to a standard. Now, some of you that were born maybe in the mid-80s and up, uh, you missed a thing called the sexual revolution. There was actually a movement in our country called the sexual revolution, began in the 60s and went through the 80s. So if you were born, say, mid-80s, there's a good chance that you don't know that you don't even know about this sexual revolution. Now, I was born in 1961, so when it first got started, it didn't have much influence over me as a toddler. But in the 80s, I really started, as it comes to its full fruition, I really saw it, particularly as I became a young pastor. And I saw it the most explicitly on television. It seems to be that's where it starts, is television. It is the process of normalization. You know what I'm saying? It starts off as kind of outlandish on television, and then about a decade later, it's how we all live as a normal. They treat it as though it's normal now when it isn't, but 10 years later, we treat it as normal as well. Now, in the 1980s, a popular sitcom that people my age watched was a sitcom called Seinfeld. Anybody watch Seinfeld? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mostly read the Bible, but, you know, every now and then, I, you know, I have three. Was there really only two people that watch Seinfeld? Is that true? Okay. All right, good, good. I'm like, wow, these people don't get out much. Um, you know, my favorite character, you have a favorite character in Seinfeld? Kramer, mine too. I, the, the dude is hilarious, right? And for my children's uh, generation that were born in the... Uh, uh, mid-80s to 90s, uh, at the same time was a sitcom called Friends. Theirs was Friends, okay? And in both sitcoms, which were brilliantly written and just drew us all in, super, super funny, if you weren't paying attention, here's what was happening. It was just seen as common experience that if you are single, it is completely legit to enter into a sexual relationship with anybody you're dating, and it was completely cool to move in with them, right? And it seemed a bit strange, maybe in the mid-'80s, uh, but they treated it as just normal. It's just kind of 
normal. And they took what we said in the very second week of our series. They took a consumer view of what marriage is all about. We're going to Enter into this thing first with the toe in the water, and if it continues to work for me, we might actually get married. The view of Scripture, the Scripture's view of marriage is more covenantal. I'm getting married to you, and I'm making a commitment to minister to you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. I'm in this thing for the long haul. It starts with the date, it moves to the toothbrush showing up, then it goes to a change of clothes. Then you get a dog together. Then you sign an apartment lease together. And before you know it, you're in up over your head. You didn't so much, you, you didn't, you, you, it, it's not something you decided, you slided into the relationship. And it's very dangerous. It's interesting if you do a little bit of research. Uh, Lisa, uh, one lady who played uh, Phoebe, Lisa, Lisa. Goudreau, wow. More people watch Friends than Seinfeld, apparently. <laughs> so she played that part very well, kind of the dipsy, is that how you say it? Ditsy, ditsy, yeah, it's not a word I use uh, much, ditsy. She kind of played the ditsy part, but she kind of played along with that whole thing. Do you know that uh, Phoebe, in real life, was a virgin? A virgin, up until she got married at the age of 31. And she is still married today, 26 years later. Isn't that ironic? What started on television and in the movies is now our new reality today. But they forgot to tell you about the downsides of this transaction. And I want to give you a little bit of that today. But first, I want you to write down principle number three. Okay, here we go. Christian singles are called to live sexually pure lives. I think one of the primary reasons uh, why people get married later today than in my era and before, my mom and dad got married at 17 and 18, Roseanne and I got married at 20 and 22, and why later? I think the research shows that number one, they're reacting to the failure of the marriage of their parents and their grandparents. For years now, generations and decades now, uh, uh, marriage has been up over 50%. And the process of getting to divorce, I don't need to remind some of you, was very painful, not only for you and your mate, your ex-mate, but for the children particularly, and it was painful for them. And so they said, what we're going to do is we're not jumping into a marriage relationship too quickly. What we're going to do is we're going to move in together to see how it works, okay? I think that's one of the reasons. And uh, I think the, the second reason is, and I don't mean to be super blunt here, but I want to instruct our younger women here, is you allowed the guy into your life in that sort of intimate way and even agreed to let him move in thinking that this would be the first step toward marriage. This is not how a guy thinks. The guy is thinking, you gave me what I wanted without signing a covenant. Men, is that right? No one's going to go with me on that one. <laughs> no, not me. I don't know. No, no, no. Nope, nope, nope. Don't worry about You gave me what I wanted without signing a covenant. I have a dear friend uh, that's dating a guy, and she says, you're not going to get that until I have two rings on my finger. 
good for her. Because when you cheapen that, it does something in his mind about who you are. Don't give it in. This is not God's way. The scripture says if you burn with sexual passions, which is not a dirty thing, God provides a way to experience it with his blessing. It's called marriage. Some would say, you know, Andy, that's why I don't want to be a Christian. God is just going about taking away all the fun out of life. That's why I don't like it. You got this rule, you got that rule, you got this one. This is another rule, and it's taking away the fun. While all my friends are out there having fun, God is a cosmic killjoy. And I'm just telling you, that is not what God's doing here. God is not keeping you from something. He is saving you for something. And if you let this go away now, it's going to be really hard to experience the best of what he has for you later. So in view of scriptures, I beg you, particularly those of you who are young, don't take away from what God has in store for you. We now have more than 70% of U.S. couples who cohabitate before they get married, which is a 1,500% increase in the past half century. And now, because we've been doing it for a long enough time and there's been lots of people doing it, we have research as to the outcome. And you may be surprised. Here it is. The, major, the majority of studies now conclude that premarital cohabitation is associated with increased risk of divorce, number one. Number two, a lower quality of marriage. Number three, poor, poor marital communication. And number four, higher levels of domestic violence. You say, okay, put the pieces together for me. Why would that be the case? And here's what the researchers concluded. It's because your entry level into this relationship was a very low bar. Entry level was a very low bar. You entered into it like, well, let's see how it works. So you move in together and you try it out and you get entangled. You get entangled and you get a dog. You, you start doing things together. You start getting into the regular routine of life and you get entangled and you get a sense that it's not working out. But for many of you, you don't know how to get out of it. And so what the researchers say is that you settle. You settle and then over the years, you don't have a good enough foundation, and it results ultimately in these four things. When I got married at the age of 20, I was taught, you get married, boy, you're in it for life. You're in it for life. You're going to stick with it. So we've got three scriptures, three principles from scriptures today. Let me rehearse them again. Listen carefully. A Christian single should live as a believer. Yeah. Number two, Christian single can be fully devoted to kingdom causes. What an opportunity. And number three, Christian singles are called to live sexually pure lives. Some of God's call in your life is exciting and some could be difficult, 
but God is calling you to sign up for both. And if you're courageous enough to do it and rely on his spirit to empower you to achieve it, you're going to experience blessing. Does anybody want blessing? Follow God's word. Yeah. In the seat in front of you, uh, there is a little card. I'm going to encourage you to pull it out, particularly if you're single. Pull it out. But everyone pull out the card and take a look at it. Speedway, you have a card. And online, they're making the card available to you as well. And I'm going to read this uh, in the form of a commitment. Single-minded singleness. As a single Christian, I commit to live as a believer. Focused on maximum kingdom impact now and purity. Saving myself for God's very best for me. Let me read that again. Because what I ask you to do, if you're single or single again, I'm going to ask you before God to just, just between you and God, make this commitment. If you're up for it. If you're not, don't sign it. As a single Christian, I commit to live as a believer, focused on maximum kingdom impact now and purity, saving myself for God's very best for me. Uh, the only way you would sign that is if you know God and you trust him that he is trying to lead you to the very best place. To sign this would mean that you're going against culture. You can even be made fun of. It's up to you. So I'm going to invite you to sign it and here's another thing I'm going to ask you to do in this Fit to Fight series where we're inviting people to not only know the word of God, but to be courageous to align their life to it. During our time of worship, I'm gonna invite you, if you're single or single again, to come down to the front here at Lenexa. We have the same arrangement in speed, at Speedway. I'm gonna invite you to come and take this card before the Lord and before your church family and go all in and saying, this is my intent and place it in this, in this basket on this altar as a declaration of your commitment. If you're watching online, you can put up the hands emojis that you're in, and we have uh, one of our team members who's gonna sign a card for you and bring it in a, and set it in a basket as well. So I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, and if this is a commitment that you are willing to make, I would encourage you during our time of worship to step out and make that commitment before God and before this family of believers. Now, God, we invite you to speak to us we invite you to receive this worship from our heart, and particularly for our singles today, I pray, Father, that you would draw close to them. Let them feel your love. Let them feel your embrace. Let them trust you in this moment. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.